0: is our fourth in a series of messages on worship. Our first one was defining worship. We just simply sought to understand what worship was, what it looks like. And of course, all the way through, we're in that process. The second message was defined by worship. And we looked at a passage of scripture from the book of Exodus, really the pinnacle of all worship experiences in the Old Testament. You can measure all the rest that's the pinnacle that's the one and we're to be defined by our own encounters with god then third last week we talked about defiling worship they didn't go very far before although god had led them to worship they had made a golden calf and they were having a worship service of their own singing and dancing and calling it worship saying they were worshiping the lord when it was something else and so I gave you the caution that although we come and we sing and we go through the motions, it may not be worship. But tonight uh, we're going to talk about devoted worship. That's the title of the message tonight. And I want to begin again with that great passage of Scripture uh, from the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews really contrast what happened on Mount Sinai with what should be the Christian's understanding of, of where uh, he or she has come to. Uh, We'll look at some passages of scripture a little later about people who were in God's presence and the experience they had in God's presence and how they came to realize they were standing on holy ground. I think you would agree that when Israel was standing before Mount Sinai and the mountain was quaking and smoking and uh, all of these things were going on because the Lord had descended on the mountain, they were warned. Don't touch it. If you touch it, uh, someone might die. Someone will be stoned. Certainly they will be. So there was this, this sense of, of, of terror, really, uh, of coming into God's presence. And so the writer of Hebrews picks up on that in chapter 12, verse 18, and he says, Remember, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. That's not where you are. You have not come to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom. And whirlwind that's not where you are you have not come to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them that's not where you are for they could not bear the command if even a beast touches the mountain it will be stoned and so terrible was the sight that even Moses said I am full of fear and trembling that's where they were but that's not where you are instead you the church have come to mount zion and to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to myriads of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven and to god the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect and to jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better Than the blood of Abel. Now, what are these verses saying? Well, these verses are simply saying that the ground on which you and I stand, the basis on which we approach God every time we approach Him, is holier ground, holier ground than Moses stood at the burning bush, holier ground than the children of Israel stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, at the pinnacle of all the worship experiences in the Old Testament and so our accountability to worship God is so much greater than theirs and so he said in verses 28 and 29 therefore since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire Now the question tonight as we begin our discussion of devoted worship is how is it that we can worship God acceptably and what if we're not? What then? Now one of the things that we've said is that worship is to be recognizably shaped by a realization of the holiness of God. That is what Moses realized at the burning bush. That is what the children of Israel Israel realized as they stood at Mount Sinai. And so, as we talk about worshiping God uh, with reverence and awe and worshiping God acceptably, I remind you, the measure of worship is not whether or not it pleases me, but whether or not it pleases God. So here's the first point about devoted worship. God is the one who measures the devotion of our worship, and we're going to look at a passage of scripture, the passage of scripture from Mark, and in, in, in just a moment, and, and and this passage in Mark that we look at is a is the story of a worship service that Jesus was observing. People were passing by, expressing they, they their worship, but what they were doing was giving. They were giving. Giving is also part of worship. It's not just something that's tacked on to a worship service. It is an act of worship, and it ought to be done with reverence and awe and in a way that's pleasing to God. Worship, we said at the very beginning, the very first mention of worship in the Bible, where worship as a word is mentioned, was about giving or offering something to God, and we said that worship uh, is not always comfortable it is not always easy. It does not always make us feel good. It often stretches us and calls for our sacrifice and surrender and, and, and in some way may bring me grief. Listen, may bring me grief as I offer to God what He demands in my expression of worship. So we look at this passage of Scripture now from Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And the Bible says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. Obviously, her giving was an act of worship. Her giving stretched her, grieved her, because God was requiring from her heart, she was giving it gladly, but he was requiring from her heart something that would really uh, touch her life in a way that it was not touching the lives of those around her. So as Jesus observed what she did and, and the heart with which she did it, he said that what she did was an act and an offering greater than, than, than all that was given, and it was pleasing to God because he saw her heart. Hers was a deeply devoted worship. It was a worship that honored God And a worship that God honored. So, as the Lord looks at our worship, that worship that we offer to Him, and we're talking right at the moment simply about what we offer to Him on Sunday, on Sunday morning or on Sunday night, as He observes it, how does He esteem it? God is the one who measures the devotion of our worship. What would devoted worship look like today? Well, it would be pleasing to God. It would seek to meet that standard first of all. And it would be characterized, according to the writer of Hebrews, by reverence and awe, with a recognition of, of the God whom we worship, that he's a holy God, that he's a consuming fire. Now, I realize today uh, that some people still put great emphasis on the garb of worship, what you wear. And there was a time when worship reflected when, when, when the way you dressed in worship reflected the attitude of the heart. Now, several years ago, uh, a lot of churches went to casual worship, come as you are at worship. We had people in our church in Hamilton who uh, shouldn't have come as they were, uh, really. Uh, they came really like they uh, just walked off the beach, some of them, uh, just about, because they wanted to push it that far. And uh, I always thought that was an affront. Now, I don't think that you have to dress up to please God, because sometimes we're dressing not to impress God, but we really dress to impress one another. I personally dress to hide things. You know, we dress to hide the bulge. We dress to hide the wrinkles. That's the way it, it comes. So God, I don't think God is so concerned with how we're dressed on the outside, but here's the next point. Devoted worship is a heart dressed to be pleasing to God. That's number two. Devoted worship is a heart dressed to be pleasing to God. And so uh, that's because devoted worship aims for the heart of God. Now one of the things that we learned last year as we uh, studied a good bit of the life of David is that David was a man after God's own heart. And we learned from Acts chapter 13, verse 22, exactly what that means. He was a man who was willing to do all of God's will. He so desired to please God that he ordered his life accordingly. So thinking of David as a man whose heart was a heart dressed to be pleasing to God, we look at David a little further, and you see that David was a man of music. Music can be worshiped, does not always worship. It wasn't worship. As they sang it around the golden calf, that was not worship. Uh, it was something else. They called it worship, but it was but music can be worshiped. David's music is a reflection of his heart. We see it in the book of Psalms. and we also know about David that he was not always perfect, but when he failed, He went back to his pen and he went back to his harp and he poured out his heart to God. David's worship was devoted worship. That's one of the that's God said that about David uh, really before he ever became king. Here was a man uh, who God chose to be king, not by his outward appearance, because God doesn't look as man sees. God sees a person's heart. He was looking at David's heart. And he was the man that God chose to be king. Out of all of Jesse's sons, he chose David because David had a heart to God. He sought in his worship to please God, to honor God. He recognized the holiness of God. And David approached God with reverence and awe. And so David's example of worship ought to reveal something else to us about devoted worship. Devoted worship doesn't begin in the sanctuary. Devoted worship begins in private. It begins in my own personal devotional time. Devoted worship doesn't begin in the sanctuary. That's the next point. Devoted worship begins in private. It's reflected in the songs that I sing in private And it's reflected in my own personal quest for God when nobody's watching but God alone. That was, I got the focus of our discipleship training tonight. That's what I kept thinking. This is weaving right into the worship service tonight. So for worship in here to be acceptable, listen, for worship in here to be acceptable, I have to have a worshiping heart at home I have to have a worshiping heart in private. I need to pursue God. I realize that he's pursuing me. I respond to God in my own quiet times alone with him. And so I plan those and I observe those. Everybody's gonna be different in that. Everybody's gonna be different. Van asks us how we start our day. My ideal day starts like this. When I get in my office, the first thing that I want to do is I want to take out my journal, and I want to write a paragraph. I want to address God in that paragraph. I want to tell God what's bothering me, what, what my day was like yesterday, what my heart is like today, and what I need to hear from Him. I write just a little paragraph, and then I open my Bible. Wherever it is that I stopped the day before, I open my Bible, and I say, God, please, you know, I want to hear from you. And then when I finish reading, however much I'm going to read, and I don't try to drown myself in reading, although I'm reading trying to read the Bible through, I shut my Bible, I open my journal, and I respond to what God said to me in His Word. I write it down. And then I can go back and look at it the next day, and I can see the journey, the steps along the way. I can go back years and see the steps along the way, how God deals with me. Now look, that's my ideal day. Obviously some days I don't get there. But my ideal day, that's how I want to begin my day. I long for that. I look forward to that. There's something about not only the Bible that I hold in my hand, but there's something about the smell of that leather bound journal and that pencil in my hand and writing and expressing, I want to have a heart for God. I want to express that to God. I want God to know that I'm pursuing Him and I I want, I really want, I desire when I come here to have an experience, an encounter with God. I not only desire that for me, I desire that for you. Here's another example of that. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 49. This is the story of Nathanael meeting Jesus. Jesus went into Galilee. He found Philip. He said to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And so here is Nathanael on his way to see Jesus. Picture this. Nathanael's on his way to see Jesus. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming. And when he saw Nathaniel, it's like me meeting you outside and saying, hey, I know you. And you look at me and you say, have we met? Do you do, do, Have we met? And I say, sure, I know you. I know your heart. I know what you're like on the inside. This is what Jesus said. Behold, an Israelite indeed. Here's a guy that's real. An Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. He's the real deal. He's genuine. And Nathanael said, How do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip found you. Think of that. Now the fig tree was the Jews' place of private devotion. Nathaniel, in his private devotional time, had been seen by the Lord Jesus before Philip found him. The Lord was observing the widow as she was dropping her offering into the offering plate in worship. He was also observing Nathaniel. In his own moment of private worship and he knew his heart what does he know about you and you know what nathaniel said you know how he responded to that when jesus said i saw you sitting under the fig tree he said you are the son of god you are the king of israel that was the that was the key for nathaniel understanding that jesus is the real deal his devoted worship found acceptance recognition with god in fact you see here it led to a greater encounter it prepared him to be in the very presence of Jesus now I want to say something I want you to think about what what doesn't happen in here from Sunday to Sunday what doesn't happen in here from Sunday to Sunday may say more about what is not happening in our own private devotional times than we want to admit. Your heart is not prepared for an encounter with the Lord Jesus. Your heart is not pleasing. You're not worshiping God there with reverence and awe. And as a result, there is no meeting with Him when you come in here. Here's the next point. Devoted worship begins outside the sanctuary, but impacts what happens Within the sanctuary. A verse I've used many times before comes from the book of Ezekiel. There's a couple of Ezekiel verses there up on the screen. God's people were in the temple worshiping. At least they thought they were. But their worship was not devoted worship. And God knew it. It was divided worship. Now imagine this. God is looking into the sanctuary tonight. Because this is what he's telling Ezekiel. He's telling Ezekiel what's going on in the sanctuary and God is looking inside now so uh, what does it mean when I say their worship was divided worship it means they brought into the sanctuary the worship of other gods they were worshiping idols and their passion was devoted to these idols and not God and so how did God respond in Ezekiel 8 6 God told Ezekiel that these things their devotion to these idols rather than to true to the true God would drive him far from his sanctuary. These are things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. The things that he sees in your heart that are not pleasing to him, the, the priorities and the passions of your heart and my heart that are not pleasing to him will drive him far from his sanctuary. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I'm telling you. God said that to the people of Ezekiel's day. And so what other idols do people worship? Other passions, other priorities. And we've got a host of folks who worship those things. In Ezekiel 14, verses 1 through 3. Then some elders of Israel came to me, Ezekiel said, and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Why are they even coming and asking you for a word from me? Will God hear our prayers? Will he receive our worship? Not when our worship is not exclusively devoted to him. Two final points, and they'll they'll be brief. Here's the next one. Devoted worship is keeping the first and greatest commandment. So, remember the pinnacle of worship experiences in the Old Testament. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's pretty clear. It was the pinnacle of, of any other worship encounter in the Old Testament, bar none. And so what's happening in that moment? Moses is called up the mountain. He goes up the mountain, disappears for 40 days. They don't see him. And while he's up there, what's he doing? He's getting the first and greatest commandment. This is clear. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, or you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind Jesus said this is the great and foremost commandment that's number numero uno if we want to say it in whatever language that is i think it's spanish but what that's number 1 that's the number one passion of your life the number one passion of my life is to love god with all my heart with all my soul with all my mind with all my strength that is devoted worship that's to be my Monday worship and my Tuesday worship and my Wednesday worship. And when it is, when it's Monday through Saturday, then it, when it is impacting me every day of the week, then when I come in here, what am I going to expect? What am I looking for? I'm looking for an encounter with God. I can expect an encounter with God because I've been meeting with Him all week, preparing, longing yearning standing on tiptoes saying god i just can't wait till sunday i can't wait till i can come and i can express my heart to you and god you can reveal yourself to me in the midst of your sanctuary devoted worship is in keeping with the first and greatest commandment finally let's just say devoted worship as it said in hebrews is characterized by reverence reverence and awe and so we look at several passages of scripture I don't think that's the right passage of scripture I've got up there, but we'll just leave it up there and see, see where it goes. It might go where it needs to be. I, I don't know. But the first, the first one I want to share with you is out of the book of Joshua. Out of the book of Joshua. Chapter 5, verse 13. The battle of Jericho was about to take place. Joshua was a little anxious about how it's going to turn out. So he goes out one night and sort of, you know, maybe he goes out to look at the blood moon. Robert, I don't know. But while he's out there overlooking Jericho, maybe he can see it in the brightness of the moon, he has this encounter. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No. Rather, I come as captain of the host of the Lord. He's captain of the armies of heaven. Now, I like to remind you that in the book of Revelation, who is the captain of the armies of heaven who rides a white horse? The armies of heaven follow him. It's the Lord Jesus. So here is the captain of the host, the captain of the armies of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, standing with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua says, Are you for us or for your enemies? And he said, Neither. And then he said, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Well, first he said, uh, Joshua, the Bible says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And he bowed down and said, what has my Lord to say to his servant? And and, uh, he was told, remove your sandals from your feet for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. What did the Lord tell Moses at the burning bush? take your shoes off your feet for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Where was that? The pinnacle spot in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, that spot where they came back to, where they should have all taken their shoes off their feet because the ground they were standing on was holy ground. I don't know where Joshua was standing, but wherever it was, He was in the presence of the Lord, and he worshiped him with reverence and awe. He bowed down, and he was to take his shoes off in in a recognition of the holiness of God. Second illustration, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is in the temple. He goes into the temple, and he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, reverence and awe as he experienced God in the temple. And don't forget about John's experience on the Isle of Patmos when he saw Jesus in His glory. He said, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as a dead man. Devoted worship that pleases God leads to such moments of reverence and awe. One leads to the other. My longing for God outside the sanctuary will, to some degree, determine my opportunity to experience God inside the sanctuary. Paul said basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, when you get together in the church, he said, if everybody is prophesying, Whatever that means, you can put whatever meaning on that you want to say, but everybody's basically talking about Jesus. Everybody's talking about what God's done in their life. Everybody's talking understandably, where each one can understand what the other's saying, and an unbeliever comes in the back door. This is what he said. He said, you know what's going to happen? He's going to fall on his face, and he's going to worship God declaring that God is certainly among you. He, like Isaiah in that moment, will see the Lord. Let's pray.